If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 534. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll, 10 Myths of American History. You've heard about that already. That's a great way to support the show because you can purchase classes there, and that keeps this podcast free of charge. And we are getting into the holiday season, so if you want to get a great gift, look, McClanahan Academy is never out of stock. And I know we're talking. people are talking about issues with supply and things being out of stock. McClanahan Academy is always in stock. So if you've got a Brian McClanahan fan out there who likes this podcast and they want to get more of me and more detail and uh, on lots of great topics, right? McClanahan Academy covers all kinds of things. You want to head over there and get a class or 12 or 20. So it's a great way to do that. Also, you can click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com, get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Click on the support tab. You can donate monthly. You can go to anchor.fm. You can become a supporter there. Lots of great ways to support the show. But as always, share the podcast around on social media. Rate it where you get your podcasts. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. It's how we expand the audience and give me those show ideas. So today is a a listener-generated episode. And welcome to this week. We've got a lot of great stuff this week. We're at the end of October. Hard to believe. We're already almost through 2021. And we've got a lot of good stuff. And we're going to start with a piece at the Bulwark, which, uh, in, I mean, it, you expect this out of the Bulwark, but this is peak neocon Straussian nonsense. You see, the Straussians, the Claremont people, the Hillsdale people, uh, and, the, and the neocons, who I know the Straussians don't like me to call them neocons, but they're all cousins because they all branch off the same thing. Firmly believe that the founding generation deserves statues, deserves monuments, they deserve all these things, but nobody from the Confederacy does. Now, I know that Anton and others will say, well, wait a second here, we wrote a good piece about, uh, about Robert E. Lee in the latest uh, Claremont Review of Books. Well, great. One, one out of all the things that, you're, that your scholars have done that have been destructive in these last six years. You see, in 2015, when the moron Dylan Roof decided to do what he did in Charleston, that unleashed all the neocon, all the opposition to the Confederacy, for whatever reason. I mean, that that had nothing to do, the Confederacy had nothing to do with Dylan Roof. That guy was just a mentally unstable moron. And so, but all this vitriol is then foisted on the South, symbols of the South, the, the Southern tradition, whatever it is. I mean, the people just wanted to take it out. And piling on were people like Victor Davis Hanson 
and other Straussians. I mean, these people were firmly committed to saying, look, the Confederacy doesn't represent what the founding generation is about. You see, they were playing a game. They thought what they could do, and I, they, they thought what they could do is say the Confederacy is bad, but if we just give them the Confederacy, then they'll leave everything else alone. And in 2015, I remember I was interviewed by the Christian Science Monitor, and I... I said, look, you take down Confederate statues, the rest is coming down too. Trust me, it's going to happen. And I think all of the Straussians and the neocons and everyone on the right that thought this was just a, we'll, we'll, give, we'll have a sacrificial lamb here. We'll get rid of the Confederacy. Plus, we need to purge that anyways. These people were traitors. You got Alan Gelzo's stupidity. These people were traitors. They don't deserve anything. We'll just get rid of that, and then we can save the founding generation. Because Abraham Lincoln is the key to the founding generation. But wait a second. The left doesn't like him either. The 1619 Project clearly points out that Lincoln was a racist, that Lincoln wasn't necessarily interested in freeing slaves. I mean, all the things that people have known about Lincoln. But the, the oh, no, 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 no. You can't say that about Lincoln. You can't say these things about Lincoln. And so... The Founding Fathers were also racist, which is true. I mean, look, there's nobody in the Founding Generation, or very few. I'm sure you could find some somewhere in that generation of people that didn't believe that uh, blacks were inferior to whites. You're not going to find that, okay? Very rarely. Across the board, it didn't matter if they were pro-slavery or anti-slavery. They all believed that. Uh, Jefferson, even when it was pointed out to him in, in several instances... Well, look at this guy. Look at this guy. This shows that you know blacks aren't necessarily inferior. He didn't believe it. Well, he's probably helped along by some whites somewhere. I mean, this is the stuff that happened, right? So this is true. All these things are true. So you've got the right, though, these neoconservative Straussians trying to say, well, wait a second, no, we can't take down these guys. But see, it doesn't matter. Once you take Lee down, once you take Jackson and Jeb Stewart and Jefferson Davis and anybody else from the Confederacy you want to take down, then who's next? Well, then it's George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and George Mason and James Madison and all the founders, right? Because they were all slave owners. Even John Adams uh, wasn't necessarily that much of an anti-slavery zealot. I mean, he didn't really like slavery, but his original constitution for Massachusetts was a pro-slavery document because that was the existing circumstances of Massachusetts when he drafted it. Now, the following, the next constitution was used by the courts of Massachusetts to abolish slavery in Massachusetts. But the legislature of, never, of Massachusetts never passed an anti-slavery bill in the founding period. And if you look at Connecticut, its first constitution, which includes, of course, lofty language from the Declaration, in the very same year that they ratified that, they pass a law forbidding blacks from voting in Connecticut. So, I mean, were these people really egalitarians? Well, heck no. They didn't believe in that at all. So the 1619 Project is actually right about this. They believe in the proposition nation that was that the founding generation didn't believe in. So see, here's where the Straussians get themselves in trouble. And this piece is a nice example of that. They get themselves in trouble because they'll say, well, wait, we can take down Robert E. Lee, but we got to leave up Thomas Jefferson. We got to leave him up because he's a good guy. He's a founding, he saved, he created America. Robert E. Lee was tearing down America even though Lee wasn't tearing down anything. In fact, you can make the argument that Lee and the South are trying to preserve America as it was originally founded. 
They were trying to preserve the founding principle of self-determination. This is what they were trying to do. You can make an argument for that. Just like you can make an argument in 1688 when you had the glorious revolution that the that those who drafted the English Bill of Rights were trying to preserve the English tradition while tearing out part of the monarchy or limiting the power of the monarchy. In fact, you could say this was this had started in 1215 and it took 400 years to do it. Violent civil war in the 1630s and 40s. So, I mean, you could say that this was part of that, just like you could say this was a continuation of that American War for Independence and trying to figure out what kind of federal republic or what kind of republic, I should say, they were going to be. Was it going to be a national republic or was it going to be a federal republic? Lincoln was a national republican. Like the French were national republicans. It was a unitary, he had a unitary vision for America. The South didn't have that. It had a federal vision for America. And I know that, well, wait, wait, wait a second here. You can't say that. South was against... Uh, they were against nullification. They were they were against these things. They wanted strong central authority. What they were saying is we got a we we cut a deal. This was the federal compact, and you're going to abide by that. And in their mind, the North was not abiding by that. And they could point to the Supreme Court. They said, "Look, the Supreme Court said that Dred Scott. I mean, you you've always said rely on the Supreme Court. Well, here we go. We've used it now." I'm going to talk about that this week, too, and how anyone that sits there and relies on the Supreme Court is just fooling themselves. So we've got this piece from the Bulwark, uh, from who, who wrote this? Mona Charon, I guess is how you would say her last name. She's a Straussian, neocon, whatever. The piece is entitled, Robert E. Lee doesn't deserve a statue, but Thomas Jefferson does. Well, why? Why does Thomas Jefferson deserve a statue, but Robert E. Lee doesn't? You see? Because Jefferson was fighting for a slave-holding republic. Jefferson owned slaves. Jefferson owned many more slaves than Robert E. Lee ever did. In fact, you could make an argument that Lee never owned a single slave. He was never a de jure slave owner. I know there's people, well, wait about, what about this time? And he was, he was younger, he might, but there's, he might have owned a slave here. There's no evidence. No hard, no hard evidence that he ever did. And of course, he managed his wife's estate, which was not his. It was his wife's estate. So Lee was never a de jure slave owner. Jefferson owned hundreds. So if we're going to just base it on that, well, why, why does Jefferson deserve a statue then? I'm just arguing from the 1619 position. Why does he deserve one? If Lee was never a de jure slave owner, and yet he doesn't deserve a statue, and he was supporting independence, why does Jefferson serve, deserve one? Well, uh, Mona is going to get into that here. She says, In New York City, a statue of Thomas Jefferson has graced the city council chamber for 100 years. This week, the Public Design Commission voted unanimously to remove it. Quote, Jefferson embodies some of the most shameful parts of our country's history, explained Adrian Adams, a councilwoman from Queens. Assemblyman Charles Barron went even further. Responding to a question about where the statue should go next, he was contemptuous. I don't think it should go anywhere. I don't think it should exist. So, yeah, this is stupid. I mean, both Adams and Barron are morons. Jefferson's statue shouldn't be taken out of anywhere in America. We should have more statues of Thomas Jefferson. He was one of the most important people in American history. We should have his statue everywhere. But you've got wokeism, which I'm also going to talk about this week. You've got wokeism 
which is now taking out everything. And I think people are getting tired of this. Maybe not in New York City, which has become, uh, I mean, a horrible place. Its government is a cesspool run by a communist. I mean, this is what you get, right? So who wants to even live there? It's why people are leaving it in droves. Nobody wants to live there. They're forced to live there. When iconoclasts topple Jefferson, they seem to validate the argument advanced by defenders of Confederate monuments that there is no escape from the slippery slope. First they come from Nathan Bedford Forrest, then for Robert E. Lee. Where does it end? Is Jefferson next? Is George Washington? Well, it is. I mean, you're, well, she's saying, well, this is a slippery slope argument. That's a, that's a logical fallacy. It can be. It's actually, if you take a, lo- a, fa- a logic class, it is one of the fallacies, slippery slope. But it's it is validating it. It's proof. But she's trying to say, no, 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 no. We can stop at Nathan Bedford Forrest. We can stop at Robert E. Lee. But you see, they're not going to. This is why these, the, the answer should have, to, for the, all of this, at the beginning, should have been these three words. No, shut up. No, shut up. You want to take down Robert E. Lee? No, shut up. You want to take down Nathan Bedford Forrest? No, shut up. You want to take down Jefferson Davis? No, shut up. And no Republican, no conservative, I don't care who you are, should have ever been on board with any of this. It should have all been no shut up. Now, of course, they, well, if we if we support Nathan Bedford Forrest, that means we're a racist. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that at all. Mona continues, no historical figure is without, without blemish, they protest. And it's unfair to condemn our ancestors using today's standards. If owning slaves is the discrediting fact about Lee, how then can we excuse George Washington? As if on cue, TFG chimed in with a statement, chiding the city for evicting the late great Thomas Jefferson, one of our most important founding fathers. Not so important, apparently, that Trump felt the need to learn about him, about him though, because the next phrase was a principal writer of the Constitution of the United States. Sigh. No, Jefferson was in Paris during the Constitutional Convention. He authored another founding document Trump hasn't read, but never mind. So this is, like, these people are really deranged. Uh, These people are really deranged. I mean, Trump derangement syndrome is real. And then the writing here. Sigh. Is this person 12? Is Mona 12? Really, is she 12 years old? This is how a 12-year-old, in fact, no, I take that back. This is how an eight-year-old would write. I've seen middle schoolers and freshmen in high school that can write better than this. Sigh. How stupid. There is an answer. A reason why it's right to remove Robert E. Lee from his pedestal in Richmond, Virginia, yet wrong to exile Thomas Jefferson from a place of honor in American life. It requires grappling with the full complexity of human beings and the mixed legacy of history. We must, as Shakespeare said, take them for all in all. That is, judge them for their entire lives, not just a part. Oh, well, if we're going to do that, then Robert E. Lee should have statues all over America. So should Jefferson Davis. Jefferson Davis was, was one of the most important people in American history, even before we had secession and he became president of the Confederacy. There would be no American military like it was if Jefferson Davis hadn't been Secretary of War. 
The U.S. Capitol would not have been what it is today without Jefferson Davis. His father-in-law was a president of the United States, Zachary Taylor. This was an important man. And yet, we're only going to judge him on four years. So why don't we have t- statues of Jefferson Davis everywhere? How about, again, Robert E. Lee, one of the most important military figures in American history. Even after the war, a man dedicated to education in America, Washington College, which they later became Washington and Lee, which those morons there are trying to take out the name Lee now. I mean, this is just so stupid. There's no other way to describe it. All this should be no shut up. No nation can endure without heroes. They are part of what creates our national story and links us through generations. They are the inspiration for natives and immigrants alike. America in particular has a creedal nation. See, here we go. Uh, let, me, let me just back up for a second here. Right, they inspire immigrants. Like the Chinese that went to Dallas and didn't want to see anything about John F. Kennedy, but they wanted to see that statue of Robert E. Lee and take pictures in front of it. Why? Because he represents everything that was important about America. Self-determination, resistance to the monster, to the Leviathan in Washington. He represented all that. Defiance, dissidence. That's America. Lincoln represents mandates, compliance, the boot. That's what Lincoln represents. It's more in line with China, right? A creedal nation, America in particular, a creedal nation. What is that creed? Well, all men are created equal, right? This is what it is. So see, here you have Mona spouting the stupidity of the proposition nation, which is the exact same thing that the Straussians at Hillsdale and the Claremont Institute will do as well. They're all the same. They all believe the same stupidity, and they will all lead to the same end, which is the destruction of America. The destruction of conservatism. If you really are a conservative, you can't, you can't support any of this. Because you're basically just picking up with the 19th century left. America in particular as a creedal nation needs unifying figures to provide the glue that other nations derive from ethnicity or religion. So America is formed on an idea. No, it's not. It's not formed on any idea. It's formed on a concrete thing, and that is, we want independence. It's not some idea. That's Lincoln's nonsense. It's Lincoln's stupidity. His fabrication of history. Fortunately for us, our founders can withstand scrutiny. But before turning to the defense of Jefferson and Washington, we need some clarity about the Confederacy. People who defend monuments to Lee on the grounds that he played an important role in our history are confusing significance with honor. Lee surely played a huge role in our history, but as the leader of an army whose aim was to destroy the Union. Well, no, the Union still existed. I mean, this is what James Byard pointed out in the Senate. Hey, wait a second here. You're saying the Union's been destroyed? Well, I'm looking around. I'm still seeing the U.S. government. I'm still seeing all the banking houses, you know, financial houses. We've got an army. We've got a navy. We've got all these things. We've just lost some states. So what? The Union still exists. It's, why does the Union have to include these states to be the Union? It still exists, does it not? We still have all. You still have the United States of America. He was still a U.S. senator. 
didn't destroy the Union. They left part of the Union. Did, did Great Britain, was Great Britain destroyed when the American North American colonies left? No, in fact, you could argue it became stronger. It wasn't destroyed, you still had Great Britain. It didn't destroy the Union. You still had the Union. You still had the Union Jack. It still existed. This is a stupid argument, again, by stupid people. That made him a textbook traitor. It wasn't a traitor. You know who was a traitor? Those that fought to keep states in the Union when it says clearly that treason is defined by waging war against them. Lincoln would have been more accurately a traitor than Lee because he had no declaration of war. He was waging war against them. The states, as I said, you know, look, we're out. We're leaving. If, if we still have the Union, if secession has never happened, then we still have a Union, and those states are still in it, and if they're part of the Union, if that's what Lincoln's saying, the Union still existed anyways, but those states are still in it, and then Lincoln's waging war against them, which is the very definition of treason in the Constitution. He wasn't a textbook traitor of anything. The South seceded. Virginia seceded, as they had a right to do, because it's not prohibited by the Constitution, and Lee sided with Virginia. And so now, there's no treason. We could argue this all day. And when, by the way. As Ulysses Grant put it in his memoir, recalling his feelings upon accepting Lee's surrender at Appomattox Courthouse. These things is a non-sequitur. Lee was a textbook traitor, and look, this is what Grant said about it. I felt like anything rather than rejoicing at the downfall of a foe who had fought so long and valiantly and had suffered so much for a cause, though that cause was, I believe, one of the worst which a people ever fought, and one for which there was the least excuse. It didn't mean he was a traitor. The two things don't go together. You're saying, here, I'm going to prove he's a traitor because Grant says this. So wait, but Grant didn't say that. Mona doesn't even know how to put an essay together. Is it fair to judge Lee by our modern standards? Perhaps not. But even by the standards of his own day, he is wanting. Much has been made of Lee's supposedly agonizing decision to resign his U.S. Army commission because he could not raise my hand against my birthplace, my home, my children, save in defense of my native state. I hope I may never be called on to draw my sword. But others, including General Winfield Scott, who offered Lee command of the Union Army in 1861, also hailed from Virginia, yet remained loyal, as did Virginian George, General George Henry Thomas, the Rock of Chickamauga, and an estimated 100,000 white Southerners who'd fought for the Union. All right, so those people are the real heroes. Well, maybe they were the morons. Look, I love Winfield Scott. Scott was an old man at that point, really old. And, uh, I mean, Scott had been in the U.S. Army longer than... Scott was a hero of the War of 1812. Here we are 50 years later with, with the war. Right? So there's a little different story there. I mean, you could say Scott decided he was going to stay, and Lee didn't. And this was a decision that was accepted. What she also leaves out about Winfield Scott is he said, look, if you're not, I mean, we should just let the South go in peace. He, at one point, was not really that interested in fighting the war. That's left out about Winfield Scott. And then you get to the real fun part. 
This is a conservative. This is a conservative website now, supposedly conservative. And this is what Mona says. Lee's image has been sanitized and even beautifully, I'm sorry, beautified by purveyors of the lost cause narrative about the Confederacy. I think these people couldn't even define the lost cause if they tried. They just use that as pejorative. They don't even know what that means. They don't even know what it means. They've depicted Lee as an upright, chivalrous defender of a tradition, a moral man, and a Christian. But as Adam Sewer reminds us, this is a fable. Adam Sewer writing in The Atlantic, which I have completely eviscerated in writing. It's one of the most idiotic pieces ever produced on Lee. If you want that, go out and look for Robert E. Lee versus Twitter historians. Uh, I mean, it's 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 a it's the dumbest piece that's ever been written. And then, but she she doubles down on this without any evidence whatsoever. See, there are things being thrown out there about Lee that we have no evidence for. That even Douglas Southall Freeman wrote about, and that oh, Douglas Southall Freeman didn't didn't write anything negative about Lee. He wrote about this stuff. He said, look, I mean, there's not really much evidence. Even Elizabeth Pryor, who makes a bigger deal out of it, admits, well, there isn't really any evidence of this except for somebody filtering this through an abolitionist newspaper that uh, said it happened. Well, who are we to believe? Lee denied it, explicitly denied it. Why would we believe Wesley Norris over Robert E. Lee? And why would Robert E. Lee, at a time when he, I mean, he could have, he, yeah, I mean, this happened. People would admit these things. Why would he say he didn't do it when he had nothing to gain or lose at that point? This was before he even was in the service of the Confederacy. Lee was a cruel slave master. In the words of Wesley Norris, one of his slaves who attempted to escape him was whipped. Not satisfied with simply lacerating our naked flesh, General Lee then ordered the overseer to thoroughly wash our backs with brine, which was done. Again, there is no evidence of this. None. Zero. Except for Wesley Norris saying this to an abolitionist who then published it in an abolitionist newspaper. As a leader of the Army of Northern Virginia, Lee enslaved all of the black Union soldiers he captured as well as free black Pennsylvanians his army encountered. Um, well, he... he uh, Lee didn't do any of that, right? And a lot of these people that were with the army, there were slaves with the army, went back with the army willingly from Pennsylvania into Maryland into Virginia. And remember that Robert E. Lee favored arming blacks, arming slaves at the end of the war. But, you know, he was just a cruel man. Oh, by the way, he did free all the slaves that he was tasked with freeing in his wife's estate during the war. So there's that too, you know, but I mean, who's counting, right? Lee strove to destroy the country and thus deserves to be remembered in infamy, not as a hero. Strove to destroy the country. He didn't just try to destroy anything. The country still existed. This is the most weak and stupid, asinine argument anybody can make. And yet they do it all the time. As the author of the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson enshrined the ideals that made this nation. Well, we never made a nation. Uh, but, you know, but he See, the United States is founded on an ideal. This is the proposition nation stupidity. 
But this is what they fall back on. And the 1619 Project can say, yeah, yeah, but you know what? He was a racist. And you know what? He was a slave owner. And you know what? He didn't live up to that. So we should take him down too. We were founded on the proposition nation. And none of these people you're talking about ever believed it. Those words gave courage to thousands of bondmen. Indeed, they were quoted by the revolutionaries in Haiti. Oh, well, that makes it all right. In Haiti, the place that slaughtered people. Oh, that's great. I mean, this is what we should really be striving for, right? A revolution that leads to essentially genocide. That's what we need to do. That's a great day for the world. Though Jefferson's administration did not recognize the revolutionary government there. Gee, I wonder why. They were slaughtering people. Jefferson's words formed our national identity as free people and marked a departure in human affairs. As the British statesman Edmund Burke remarked at the time, it has made as great a change in all the relations and balances and gravitation of power as the appearance of a new planet would in the system of the solar world. Well, this idea of simply declaring independence, but by the way, Virginia had already done this. Uh, and, I mean, that's, okay. I mean, th he was basing this on the English Bill of Rights. If you put those two documents side by side, the form and structure are very similar. But okay. Historian David Armitage estimates that at least half of the world's nations today boast a document that can be called a Declaration of Independence. A 19th century Hungarian nationalist, Kossuth, who uh, called the American Declaration of Independence the noblest, happiest page in mankind's history. Now, Kossuth, we, <laughs> Kossuth was what you would say an early proposition nation proponent. He was also a essentially a communist revolutionary. Bulwark, citing the good people, right? The Haitian genocidal maniacs. Kossuth, who was essentially a communist revolutionary. He was a, a participant in the revolutions of 1848, which were Marxist, before Marx, but essentially Marxist revolutions, you know, communist socialist revolutions. This is what they were. <clears throat> but he's a good guy. Was Jefferson a hypocrite? Oh, yes. One of history's most flamboyant. He owned slaves and almost certainly fathered children with his dead wife's half-sister, Sally Hemings, an enslaved woman. Well, not almost certainly, it's dubious, questionable, it's possible, but not almost certainly. Again, that's what anybody talks about, it's what anybody says, and it's based on flimsy evidence. So, I mean, this is where these people are all stupid. But he never defended the institution as Lee did, Quite the contrary. He wrote, I tremble for my country and reflect that God is, God, God, God is just. Oh, wait a second here. He did defend it over and over again. If you read Kevin Goodsman's biography of Jefferson, he defended it quite a lot, in fact. His notes on the state of Virginia? I mean, he made some pretty strong statements in favor of slavery. You could say that he's mixed in that, but he wasn't willing to get rid of it. This is why he said he had the wolf by the ears. Well, we don't know what to do with it, but we're not getting rid of it. Jefferson instructed the, that three things be mentioned on his tombstone. Here was buried Thomas Jefferson, author of the Declaration of Independence of the Statute of Virginia, of Virginia for Religious Freedom and father of the University of Virginia. Religious liberty is a cornerstone of American life, and he was rightly proud of the legislation that paved the way for the First Amendment. 
Virginia's law disestablished the Church of England and provided freedom of worship for all Christian denominations, as well as for Muslims, Hindus, and Jews. And reflecting his personality, the statute was even written with wit. So this is true. I mean, he considered this one of his most important contributions to American life. And we do know that in the 1600s and even the 1700s, but more in the, from the 15 and 1600s, we had terrible religious wars. The English Civil War was in part created by religious questions. Whereas Almighty God hath created the mind free, that all attempts to influence it by temporal punishments or burthens or by civil incapacitations tend only to beget habits of hypocrisy and meanness, and therefore our departure from the plan of the holy author of our religion, who being Lord both of body and mind, yet chose not to propagate it by coercions on either, as was in his almighty power to do. In other words, if God, who is omnipotent, chose not to coerce humans into any particular belief, we humans should likewise refrain. Do we overlook Jefferson's shameful private behavior? No, but we take him in full. His contribution to human liberty, despite his personal behavior, entitles him to a place of honor. Wait a second. Jefferson certainly had slaves whipped, just as Lee supposedly did. In fact, you can go back and read some pretty horrible examples of this. His nail factory on his plantation was brutal. So you could, you could read all kinds of things. But because he helped create the proposition nation, I mean, then we should just give him a pass. Well, not if you're the 1619 people. This is the weakest argument. It's like, wait a second here. Yeah, Jefferson was a really bad guy. But, you know, he did this, so we should keep him up. We should keep his statue up. No, it doesn't work that way. You just say, no, shut up, and you say, yeah, I mean, Jefferson did some things we don't like today, but he was a great man. Lee did some things we don't like today, but he was a great man. This is the weakest essay, but this is the best the conservatives can do. This is the best they can do. No, but we take him in full. His contribution to human liberty, despite his personal behavior, entitles him to a place of honor. There'll always be an asterisk. But to say that statues honoring him shouldn't exist, as the New York City Assemblyman did, is to dismiss the Declaration of the American Anthem. As Abraham Lincoln wrote in 1859 to a gathering celebrating Jefferson's birthday, all honor to Jefferson, to the man who, in the concrete pressure of a struggle for national independence by a single people, had the coolness, forecast, and capacity to introduce into a merely revolutionary document an abstract truth applicable to all men at all times, and so to embalm it there, that today and in all coming days it shall be a rebuke and a stumbling block to the very harbingers of reappearing tyranny and oppression. But look at what Lincoln is doing there. This is one of the most idiotic things that we can read in American history in terms of what it actually was. Of course, he's, in, he's brilliant in how he's framing this. Struggle for national independence by a single people. Well, it wasn't that. We know it wasn't that an abstract truth applicable to all men in all times. But that's not what Jefferson said it was. He said it wasn't that. But Lincoln now, this is where our understanding of the Declaration is through Lincoln's view, not Jefferson's view, or the founder's view, but through Lincoln's view. You see, this is the critical part. This is Lincoln. As for George Washington, there would have been no nation to criticize or lionize without him. If Jefferson was the poet laureate of liberty, Washington was the living exemplar of Republican virtue. Having led the revolution, he could have proclaimed himself king or dictator. Some urged him to do so. In response to a, a letter from Colonel Louis Nicola of the Continental Army urging Washington to adopt the title of king, he wrote, 
that the suggestion has been painful, and continued, If you have any regard for your country, concern for yourself or posterity, or respect for me, to banish these thoughts from your mind and never communicate, as for yourself or anyone else, a sentiment of the like nature. When King George III was told by the American artist Benjamin West that Washington intended to resign and return to private life after winning his country's freedom, the king said, if he does that, he will be the greatest man in the world. And of course, this is why there's a statue of George Washington in London. But we don't put up, I mean, he was a traitor, right? He's a traitor. He was. Many a revolutionary leader came after him. Most became despots in turn. None has achieved his greatness. Washington presided over the Constitutional Convention and established the norms of Republican conduct as the first president. He also did some really stupid things as well. He balanced the egos of his brilliant, feuding cabinet members and created a nation. No, he didn't. He didn't create anything. Yes, Washington held human beings in bondage, and that was terrible. His ownership of slaves is a blight on his record, but the rest shines on. No nation that has judgment and gratitude can fail to honor him forever. Well, I mean, I look, I agree. George Washington is great. He's a hero. So is Thomas Jefferson. So is Robert E. Lee. I could even get on board with Abraham Lincoln in some ways. But the fact is, uh, all of these people, their statues should stay up. But you see, Mona is saying, oh, and there's a correction. A sentence in this article as originally published mistakenly claimed that George Washington did not break up slave families. He sometimes did. Yeah. So Mona doesn't really know her history that well. And Mona is just eating this neoconservative Straussian BS. She consumes it and then barfs it out, and it's just stupid. So, I mean, look. This is the problem. This is where we're getting... This is, this is, this is Brett Baer's book on Grant. I mean, this is all the ridiculous stuff. Nobody should read any of that. It's, it's Gelzo's Robert E. Lee. These people are passing for conservative, and the ball work's not really conservative. These are leftists. These are all leftists. That's all they are. And this is the kind of stuff that uh, passes for interesting today. I disagree. All right. I had to take this piece out. It was just so stupid. I had to talk about it. I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. (laughs) 